Psalm 67. Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we come to your word, as we've heard it read and it's about to be preached, that you would shape us, shape and transform our minds so that we should think of you in the way that we ought to, shape our hearts so that we would love what we should love. Father, that we would join in as people who have been redeemed by you, as those who praise you, and with the throng of the nations and peoples that sing your praise. And Father, shape our hands so that we would live as we should live, as obedient servants to you, that we would bring you great glory. Oh God, speak to us in your word this morning, changing us, our minds, our hearts, and our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Since I'm officially a guest preacher this morning, I should probably introduce myself. My name is James Lima. I am a former pastor of Livingstone Church. I, am, uh, I was reminded of that this morning when Logan and the finance team came up and gave me my check as a guest preacher. That's right. Livingstone no longer pays me unless I am preaching and then I get a guest, uh, guest preacher stipend or payment, whatever ordinary guest preachers receive. That was a little bit strange for me, but... I'm now called as the church planting pastor of Good Hope Presbyterian Church in Stevens Point. Many of you know that. Thank you for praying for us so consistently. Continue to do so. Pray for me and also the other families from Livingstone that you are sending out to plant a new church in Stevens Point. But let's spend some time now in Psalm 67 this morning. Now, I, I like starting with controversial statements because it wakes you up. If maybe you've fallen asleep to this point in the service. So here's my controversial statement. It's not really that controversial. I don't like song fade-outs. You guys know what that is? I don't like song fade-outs. So you might want to argue with me after the service on that. I know occasionally in a song it works really well. But you've heard it a thousand times where you're listening to a song on the radio or Spotify or Apple Music, whatever you use. For music, And instead of having a nice, crisp, proper ending to the song, they just slowly turn down the volume until it fades off into nothing. Now, as a musician, I know that ending a song properly is actually a very challenging thing to do. Once a song is up and going, it's kind of easy to, to keep it going. You, you can increase the volume, decrease the volume. You can, you know, increase the tempo, decrease the tempo. You can have a key change, right? But you're, you're moving along. But when you come to the end, it's hard to say, how should we actually stop this thing that has gotten moving? And I like hearing creative ways of ending songs, and it feels to me that a fade-out, just to slowly turn down the volume until it just disappears, it's a cop-out. 
It's easy. You're ignoring the necessity of a good, clean, clear conclusion. Things need a good, clear conclusion, don't they? Plays and musicals need curtain calls. Firework shows need a finale. I was out at the EAA this year. They have a great firework show. We were there for Saturday, and the firework show started, and then they had a technological issue, and the finale never came, and they just sent us home. And something felt incomplete. We're all just sitting there like, are we supposed to leave now? Is this over? Firework shows need a finale. Songs need a real ending. Please, no fade-outs. Living Stone, don't fade out your songs at the end. The song of response is fading into nothing. We all start whispering and then it becomes quiet and we just leave. It'd be so weird. Even in the Midwest, our goodbyes are a sort of a conclusion. They take a half hour, right? But eventually we get to the end and people leave, right? It's a system that we understand. But how should Christian worship services end? How should we conclude? Again, should we just fade out the song of response into nothing? No, our worship services and Christian worship services in general end with a benediction. You see it in your worship guide. Today it's from Numbers chapter 6. We have a benediction. Simply put, if you're not familiar with the word benediction, it refers to a blessing. A blessing from God to his people. But why do we end with a benediction? Is it just because we need a way to end and it's just, you know, it seems nice to end with this declaration from the pastor and then everybody leaves? Is it just a way of the pastor saying, have a nice day, everyone. Thanks for coming. I'll see you next week, right? Back in Livingstone's early days, we had a snack time over in the fellowship area and the benediction seemed to be this call to all children to start fleeing the sanctuary and running to go get that granola bar. Literally, Joshua would be halfway through the benediction and all of the kids would already be over there, right? So is it just a signal, this is ending, you can all go home now? No, there's a purpose to a benediction. First, we end with a benediction because just as God gets the first word in our worship, so he also gets the last. God gets the first word when he calls us to worship. We start with a reading of scripture where God says, praise me, come before me with singing, come before me with gladness, worship me. And then we are sent out at the end with a blessing from the Lord. God speaks first in our worship and God speaks last. But we also end with the benediction because of a biblical pattern that we see. In Leviticus chapter 9, at the conclusion of a worship service, it says that Aaron, the priest that Donovan mentioned in his worship service, the one building the golden calf, okay, he wasn't always a fool. Occasionally he did things right. But it says in Leviticus 9 that Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Now, the Gospel of Luke records the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the very end of Luke 24, and the Gospel of Luke and the earthly ministry of Jesus also ends with a benediction. It says, And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Well, he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Literally, as Jesus is being lifted up into heaven, he is declaring a benediction upon his disciples. And we see that pattern throughout the letters of the New Testament. Paul ends his letters with benedictions. 
2 Corinthians ends with one of the most famous benedictions in the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. A benediction that we use often at Livingstone. Now, just as a side note, when you hear particularly those first two examples, what do you see the person giving the blessing, blessing doing for the benediction? He raises his hands. Aaron the priest, Jesus in his benediction, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. So when you see at the end of this service, when I lift up my hands to give the benediction to you as the congregation, it's not just some neat religious feeling thing that I'm raising my hands up. It's kind of a cool thing to do. makes it feel all spiritual. No, there's actually a biblical precedent for raising your hands in the benediction. The idea of that gesture is the same as laying your hands on someone. When the patriarchs would bless their children, they'd lay their hands Upon their children, they bless them. But since the pastor can't, I can't go lay my hands on all of you individually. Biblically, what it's doing is I am laying my hands upon all of you. Think of it that way. That's kind of neat. When I give the benediction later, it's that I'm laying my hand upon you as the people of God and giving you the blessing of the Lord. Now, for you, your posture isn't as necessary. Some of you will hold your hands out like you are receiving something. Right? It gives the idea that you are getting a gift from God, a blessing from him. You're holding out your hands. Another common Reformed practice is to lift up your head towards heaven in the benediction, acknowledging that the blessing doesn't come from James, doesn't come from Pastor Josh. The blessing comes from God. So you look to heaven from where the blessing flows. So whether you choose to hold your hands out like this or look up to heaven, that's up to you. But I want you to know why we hold our hands out like this. So side note done. Beyond the question of why we end with benedictions or our posture in benedictions, our main focus on, in Psalm 67 today is on God's purpose in benedictions. What is God doing in a benediction? Another way to say that is to ask the question, what is God's goal in blessing his people? What is God's goal in blessing his people? And the answer of Psalm 67 is quite simple, and this is our big idea for the text this morning. God blesses his people that, there are two reasons, that the nations might be glad and that he might be glorified. God blesses his people that the nations might be glad and that he might be glorified. And I'm going to break that sentence up into its three constituent parts as we walk through Psalm 67, God blesses his people that the nations might be glad that he might be glorified. So let's look at the first of those. God blesses his people. Look down at your Bibles with me. Look at verse one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Some of that language might be fairly familiar to you. There are two earlier passages in the Bible that I think lie in the background of Psalm 67, and they shape the theology, they shape the outlook and the vision of Psalm 67. The first of those older passages is Numbers chapter 6, and it lies in the background of this first verse, Psalm 67. I would ask you to turn to Numbers chapter 6, but you don't actually have to. Look at your worship guide. It's our benediction. Numbers 6. 24 through 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Of all the benedictions in scripture, you can maybe say that this is the benediction. This is the most common benediction that has been used in the worship of the people of God since it was given by God to Aaron the priest. Both in the nation of Israel and even in the church today, this remains the most common blessing and benediction you'll hear at the end of a worship service. Why? That's why we're using it this morning. But notice how in number six, some of the language has been borrowed and repurposed in Psalm 67. Psalm 67 begins, may God be gracious to us. Do you see that in Numbers chapter 6? Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. It says, then the Lord bless us. That's how number 6 begins. The Lord bless you and keep you. And then the, perhaps the most obvious borrowing of number 6 is that next line. May God make his face to shine upon us literally pulled right out of Numbers chapter 6, and instead of being a declaration upon you, it is now prayed as a blessing upon us. What Psalm 67 is doing is it's taking the benediction of Numbers 6 and repurposing it as a prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And it's this prayed-for blessing that teaches us something essential about the blessing of God. The phrase that they pull out from Numbers 6 and place in the prominent position here is that God's face would shine upon us. This is the ultimate blessing of the benediction. But what does it mean? What does it mean for the face of God to shine upon you? That's not necessarily something that you use in everyday English in 2023 now, is it? Well, Proverbs chapter 16 gives us a good idea of a part of what it means. You can turn there with me if you want. Otherwise, I'll be reading it for you. Proverbs 16, 14 through 15. It gives us this picture of an earthly king sitting in his throne room. And the image is of a person walking into the throne room of the king and beholding the king. It says in Proverbs 16, 14, 15. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. So the first half here is the wrath of the king, but then it changes. And listen to this language and hear this concept that we see in Psalm 67. It says, in the light of a king's face, there is life. And favor, his favor is like the clouds that bring spring rain. There's this contrast between the wrath of the king and the favor of the king. And the light of the king's face shining upon the person who walks into his throne room is a sign of the king's favor. It's like you walking into your boss's office and you know immediately whether you're being fired or getting a raise just by looking at his face, right? But you walk into the king's throne room and you are filled with anxiety and trepidation because you know this king has the authority to put me to death on the spot. And it's not always a happy thing when you're invited into the throne room of a king. You don't know what he's about to do. But imagine you walk in, the doors are swung open by the guards. You step fearfully into the throne room of the king and you look up at his face and he smiles at you. And you know in that moment that the king is for you. And the king's favor is upon you. 
for God's face to shine upon us is for us to know that our God and our King is for us. That his favor and grace and kindness rests upon us and belongs to us. But it's even more than just this. It's not merely a sign of the favor of God. It's a picture of the presence of God and our sight of him. It's not merely in walking into that throne room that you know the king is for you, but that you see the king and your heart being set at ease by his shining, smiling face allows you to rejoice and see and behold his majesty, his power, his robes, to enjoy his great throne room and to see that your king is good. His face shines upon you and your face looks upon his. It's a beautiful sight. Throughout the Bible, it's the sight of the face of God that is presented as the chief and ultimate blessing and goal of human existence. What is all of this Christian life driving toward? It is driving toward the sight of God, not in a a golden calf or an image that we make, but one day the reality that we will actually see him. We don't have to make up in our minds what we think he is like. We don't just have a mirror that we see dimly. No, we shall see, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, we shall see him face to face. What a beautiful sight. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. This is why David in Psalm 27 cries out, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Our great longing now ought to be that face-to-face sight of God. It's that face-to-face vision that theologians have often called the beatific vision. I don't necessarily expect you to remember that phrase, the beatific vision. But it's the idea that now we see only with eyes of faith. We see now only with eyes of hope. But one day, that dim, faith-filled, hope-filled look will one day be wiped away and filled with the glorious, perfect, vibrant heart-shaking vision of God himself. And that means that we need to reshape our understanding of the blessing of God. The blessing of God is the sight of God, the knowledge of God. Too often when we seek God's blessings, we seek only or primarily his temporal blessings, his provision, his comfort, health, peace. For me as a brand new father, I long for sleep. Oh God, give me sleep. Give Lexi sleep. Help Walter to sleep for our sake, please. Is that a wrong thing to long for? No, of course not. Our God is the God from whom every blessing flows. From the greatest blessing in salvation and Christ and the knowledge inside of him all the way down to the meal that we have, the coffee that we drink that keeps us awake and alive right now, Lexi. Right? Every blessing flows to us from God and is to be sought and desired and and praise God for what he gives us. But let's not lose sight of that ultimate blessing when we look at the temporal blessings. God created in our hearts a desire to yearn for something so much fuller and richer 
And the best coffee, the greatest meal, the greatest friendship, the best peace we can have on earth. God created us for himself, that we would see him and know him. It's God's intention to bless his people. What a beautiful thing. It's declared over and over in the benedictions of scripture and far above all of their blessings is the fellowship and sight and knowledge of the blessed triune God himself. But how then can this blessing be ours? That's the question that we ought to be asking when we see these declarations of God because we know our sin. I know my sin. You know your sin. And in fact, God knows my sin and your sin far better than we know our sin. How can we walk into the throne room of the king who knows every evil thought that we have, every piece of envy and covetousness, every moment of hatred and frustration and impatience, every secret sin, every minor flaw, every major blunder, the king knows it all. How can we walk into that throne room and not see his angry face of wrath, but instead see his smiling, shining face of favor? Because we don't deserve a benediction. We deserve a malediction. We deserve a curse. That's why we need to see that the first petition or prayer of verse one is for the grace of God. The only way we can walk into his throne room and behold his face is because of his grace. That God gives us something that we don't deserve, something that in fact we have earned the opposite of, yet he gives it to us and he gives it to us in Jesus Christ alone. He's the one who took our curse. He's the one who took our malediction and gave us instead his righteousness and perfection so that we can be reconciled to God, know God, and enjoy the blessing and favor and presence of God. And that, my friends, is the gospel. That is how God redeems us and saves us. And even more than that, in Jesus Christ, we see the shining face of God. Jesus is the shining face of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the shining, smiling face of God. As my friend Mike Glodo writes, The image of the shining face of God, as glorious as it was under the old covenant, has been manifested in a decisive, climactic, and transformative way in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, look to Jesus. Look to him in faith so that in him one day you can look into the very face of your king and your God and see him smile upon you. All right, we're through one verse. Good job, everybody. Only a few more to go. I promise that we'll move a bit faster from here on out. We've seen that God blesses his people. But look to the first word of verse two. And this kind of shapes the way that we think about the rest of this psalm. The first word there is that. It shows that there is a larger purpose to the blessing of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face to shine upon us, that we'll see two purposes of God in blessing his people. First, God blesses his people that the nations might be glad. God blesses his people that the nations might be glad. 
Look at verses two through five with me. That, again, the purpose of the blessing, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. What does this teach us? It teaches us that God doesn't bless us only for the sake of us. God blesses us to bless the world. Remember that there are two passages, earlier passages of the Old Testament that kind of lie in the background of Psalm 67. The first is number six, but the second is Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. God says to Abram, the man that he later renames as Abraham, he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And pay attention to this sentence here. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the, of the earth shall be blessed. You're not seeing that kind of the theological understanding, the vision of Psalm 67, I will bless you so that in you, all of the families of the earth, all of the peoples, all of the nations will be blessed in you because you have received the blessing of God. We are blessed to be a blessing. And throughout Psalm 67, the emphasis is on people from every, every people group, every nation being brought into the enjoyment of God. Verse 4 is the center of the psalm. And like so many psalms, there's this parallel structure. You see in verse 3 and verse 5, this exact wording. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Kind of sandwiching in it the central verse, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The purpose is that the nations would enjoy God, would be brought into the gladness of God. And why do they rejoice? It's because of the justice and the guidance of God. He judges the peoples with equity. He guides the nations upon earth. These are words that ordinarily in the Old Testament describe God's relationship with Israel. The word particularly here for guiding the nations is the one that is used of God leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. It's this picture that the nations, that the peoples are brought into now the people of God. They are included in those who have been blessed by God. And this is God's purpose in blessing us. To see people from every tribe, nation, language brought into the enjoyment of God. It's meant to go beyond the borders of Israel in the Old Testament and beyond the walls of our church. The blessing and benediction of God doesn't stop at the brick walls. It goes out to the city of Oshkosh and the people here. The blessing of God is not something that's to be hidden. It's not to be hoarded away as if to share it means that there's less left over for you. I was number three of four boys in my family. We were all ravenous eaters, right? So when my parents would order pizza, you had to eat quickly. If you did not eat quickly, you would get less. And it's not that my parents didn't provide well enough for us if they ever listened to this sermon. I'm not speaking against you, mom and dad. But when you have four growing boys who could all themselves eat an entire pizza, right? One of them is bound to be hungry at the end of the meal. 
So every piece of pizza that your brother ate was one less piece of pizza for you. God is not like pizza. Quote of the day. Put it on Facebook and Instagram, okay? God is not like pizza. God is not some zero-sum game. It's not as if the blessing of God being shared means that there's less left over for us. God is the fountain of all goodness, of all blessedness. He is inexhaustible in his goodness. We can never share him and end up with less of God for ourselves. And the longing of Psalm 67 is that the blessing would be spread abroad to all people that they would know and enjoy God. And so there's this duty attached to the blessing, isn't there? Just as there's a duty attached to a benediction on Sunday mornings. We give you a benediction as a way of sending you into the world with the blessing of God. There's a charge that flows out of a benediction. The first word that is usually spoken by the minister after the benediction is done is go. Is it not? You hear that almost every Sunday. Go in peace. Go in peace to love and serve our God. Go in peace with the blessing of God. Go and enjoy God's Sabbath rest. It's always go. And we're charged to display the blessing of God in two ways. There's two ways that God blessing us as his people blesses others. It's through us displaying and declaring God's blessing. Displaying and declaring. Look at verse 2. How is it that God's way would be known on earth? It's by God's people living as his transformed people. It's through lives of humble obedience to God's commandments so that when people look upon God's people, they see in them the image of God being formed in them. They see what the way of God looks like. When God blesses us, it's meant to then flow out of us in lives of obedience so that people would see the way of God. So we display God's blessing. But then second also, we declare God's blessing. See that also in verse 2. The saving power of God among the nations. What is the saving power of God? We don't have to guess. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the saving power of God. And notice what Paul does when he goes on. He says, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Could it be possible that Paul had Psalm 67 in his mind as he wrote about the saving power of God going to the nations through the gospel in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? The gospel is the blessing of God to the nations, and it is meant to be declared. It's not just, right, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary, because words are necessary. The gospel is meant to be spoken, to be declared and proclaimed to the nations, even to our friends, our family, our neighbors. We're never going to do this perfectly, are we? But still, as we experience and know the blessing of God, may this be formed in our hearts. An obedience to God that shows his way to the world. And a love for the people of God, and a love for the world, that spurs us on to see them enjoy our God through the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So God blesses his people so that the nations would be glad. And lastly, God blesses his people that he might be glorified. Verses three and five, as I said, mirror each other. Same exact words, both in the English and the Hebrew. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. When God blesses his people, and when God blesses the nations through his people, it's not ultimately about us, is it? It's ultimately about God. His blessing is always meant to lead to his praise, to his worship, to his glory. When God redeems us, it's to restore us to the purpose for which we were created. And what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you see that in Psalm 67? The gladness of the nations and the glory of God and his praise? Why does God bring the gospel to the world through his people, but so that people would live out the purpose for which they were created? Gladness and glory, enjoyment, glorification, joy, and praise. And this shows us something vital about the mission of the church. After all, Psalm 67 is often called the great missionary psalm or the great evangelistic psalm. What we learn is that the chief end of the uh, chief end of man is also the chief end of the mission of the church. That people would enjoy our God and glorify him forever. There's been a lot of ink spilled over the last couple of decades in debates about what the mission of the church is. And if I was going to wade into that fray, I would just use language from the Westminster Confession. And I would say the mission of the church is the gathering and perfecting of the saints from all nations to the full enjoying and glorifying of God to all eternity. Why do we exist? To gather and perfect saints from all nations to the full enjoying and glorifying of God to all eternity. What are we about as a church? What are you about, Living Stone? Why are you here to glorify God, to enjoy him forever, and to invite others into the same. This ought to reshape our motivation for the mission of the church and evangelism. It's not primarily about growing the numbers of Livingstone, becoming a self-sustaining financial church. It's not about building a name for ourselves here at Livingstone Church or at Good Hope Presbyterian in Stevens Point. Our motivation ought to be the praise and glory of the God who blessed us in the gospel. It's his glory that should stir our hearts to live for him, to desire to see the good of the church and the good of our city. It's not about us. It's about him and his praise and his glory. And Psalm 67 then concludes with verses six and seven. There's a statement here of confidence. It repeats, God shall bless us. Notice the first part of the, of Psalm 67 is a prayer. May God bless us. But here it says, God shall bless us. Our God will bless us. There's confidence in what God has promised. God will, in fact, and not do what he has promised and not fail. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So this morning, when you receive the benediction in just a couple of minutes, remember these things. Remember that the benediction you receive is not just some concluding remark. It's not just a nice way to leave. It's not the bell ringing at the end of a school day, the finale, the end of a fireworks show. Definitely not the fading out of a song, right? Instead, the benediction is a blessing 
from your God to you. A God who loves you, who intends to shine his face upon you, and a blessing that that charges you and sends you to go into the world to be a blessing for the sake of the gladness of the world and the glory of your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for blessing us, for blessing us in your son, Jesus Christ, for blessing us through your grace when we did not deserve it. Oh, Father, reshape our hearts. Take our eyes off of merely the things that surround us in this world and give us eyes that, that strain to see you, that long to see your face. And oh, God, as we seek to know you and enjoy you, may we bring others into that joy as well so that you would be glorified in all the earth and praised, O God. Amen.